0: Thank you, folk, for leading us as we have been singing to the Lord this evening. We're going to actually just pray again before we come to God's word. Uh, Let's think about those last two lines. I'll bring you more than a song. And as we pray, let's commit ourselves, shall we say, uh, before we we open the scriptures to bring more than the songs we've been singing to our Lord uh, this evening as we delve into his word. Let's come to the Lord as we pray. Lord, we thank you. Actually, we really do thank you that you've given us something to sing about. You've given us a new song in our hearts. But we also confess that time and again, uh, we, we, we we don't bring you much more than a song because we like our music, Lord, and we thank you for it. But so often, Lord, uh, we get so hung up in a million and one other things that you don't get much more than the song. But we pray our, that our songs this evening would be songs that are not just words on a screen or words that we know or words that are set to to really lovely music. Even, Lord, really, really good words. But we praise you, we thank you, we pray, Lord, that they are words which are being used to express uh, how we are deep down inside. That they are something of the overflowing of the life of the Spirit in our lives and as we come to to look at your word this evening Lord help us just to realize to understand to remember that it's actually all about Jesus our lives are all about Jesus our actions our words our thoughts our coming to church, our work within the, our, our service within the kingdom of God. It is all about Jesus. And we confess that we do forget this sometimes. So we do pray, Father, that, that in this quiet moment, just we would commit ourselves to Jesus and to be praying that as we, we look into this word that, that he is the one who will speak to us this evening. Lord, we pray in the precious name of the Savior. Amen. Well, let's go to the sermon, to the sermon which has come through trials and tribulations uh, over, over the course of uh this week, you know i, I, I don 't go in for signs and things like that there, but this is about a man i 'm actually skipping to about the middle of the sermon. this is about a man who who really lost his way we 'll we'll deal with that in a minute the first point there are four points sad on a sunday evening isn 't it four points the first one 's the long one, and the other three are a bit shorter, just following on uh, we 'll get to them in a minute, but I was getting changed you know I was getting because uh, um, <laughs> I, I had a man this morning in the church I was preaching, and I don't know why he said it to me, but he was most offended that, that somebody had come to preach, uh, not in his church, but one he had knowledge of, wearing a pair of shorts, so I thought, I would better take my shorts off before I go to Ravenhill this evening and put a pair of trousers on, and as I was doing it, I saw this sitting beside the bed, right? Uh, this is uh, something my little granddaughter, uh, my second, my eldest granddaughter, uh did for me it's just dead simple it's like a rainbow a little cloud or a speech bubble it's a speech bubble a cloudy speech bubble she did it for me on my holidays in England a couple of weeks ago and it says this the Lord is my helper so I will have no fear she is 10 I was delighted with that and it sits just beside my bed where I leave my glasses before I go to sleep Uh, at night but actually it's just it struck me I've been struggling with this Genesis 20 all week and suddenly it struck me this is what it's about the Lord (laughs) the Lord is my helper and I have no need to fear and Abraham should have known that let's get to the sermon proper you know I did feel really apart from all the other things I felt really bad when I was preparing uh, this passage this evening because uh, it's about as I've said several times probably Abraham basically hiding behind his wife Now, there's an old expression, please ladies, do not be offended. My mother would have used this expression, and it's a very old-fashioned one. He hid behind her skirts. I know most of you don't wear skirts very often, but that's the expression. And actually, some of the books I've read, that's exactly what it says. shows you how old they are. He put her out in front to take the wraps for his actions in life. Now, what did occur to me was, and this will be really embarrassing, uh, that I kind of do a, a similar thing with Janet. Uh, put her out in front uh, and let her do all the talking and therefore she takes the wraps uh, as well. So I'm a card, just like Abraham, just like Abraham. Wherever we go, we go on holiday, we're ordering in a coffee shop, sorting things out in life. She does it, she does it, and I turn up. <laughs> You know, that sort of thing. I let her do it all and I just sort of sit in the background and get the benefits. We have often gone to Italy because we love Italy. Our holiday in Italy was canceled this year for various reasons. And you know, she is brilliant. And she's getting, I can feel the heat from here. <laughs> I wouldn't say she's embarrassed, but you make a tomato look anemic <laughs> at this moment. But <laughs> she is brilliant at communicating with the Italians. And she doesn't know a word of Italian but they, uh, they always know, <laughs> sorry about that, <laughs> they always know what she's talking about. Like Abraham and Sarah, she is pushed out in front, but that's just because she's so brilliant, I had to say that, you know. Not that she actually has ever been, because of that, carried off into a Middle Eastern sheikh's harem. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm not sure she would object to that, <laughs> but he might bring her back in the morning. She'd be much better off if she did something like that. But that's what happened to Sarah, Abraham's wife. So that's what we're going to be dealing with in Genesis 20. There are lots of other bits and pieces in this. And you can get off of all sorts of tangents. But they are not what the story is about. The story revolves around this thing that happened with Abraham and with Sarah. Four things. Here's the first one. It's up there. You probably can't read that, but there you go. Uh, the challenge of new circumstances. And this kind of sets the scene. It draws in where you've been before in these chapters and a a new area. And the little subtitle I have put under that is, And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. And that is explained again in verse 13. Everywhere we go, Abraham said to her, say of me, he is my brother. So, Abraham's on the move again now why is he on the move again well we don't actually know now that is actually bad news because Abraham left Ur on the Lord's command he's been moving around on the Lord's command and now suddenly we find him moving moving southwest to a place called Gerar now if you happen to look at a map I haven't got one on the screen but he's on the way to Egypt he doesn't actually get there, but he's on the way to Egypt. He's moving away from, as it were, the Promised Land. It's an indication that he's not actually moving at this moment in the will of the Lord, who has been guiding him for quite some time now since he left Ur. He's been following God's instructions right up to Sodom and the Sodom and Gomorrah incident. Maybe. I don't know. Some commentators, I don't know where the commentators get their stuff from. They're supposed to be experts uh, in this, but some commentators say maybe he didn't like really the mess which had been left in the valley with Sodom and Gomorrah and he wanted to get away from the smell of it. I have no idea. The point is that by going southwest to Gerar, he was traveling away from the land that was promised. That's not good. That's a mistake. More than that, Oh, we've said it, he doesn't appear to be moving according to instruction. That's not good either. But the detail that stands out at this moment in his life is this fact that he's telling lies. Abraham's a scheming liar. Everywhere we go, verse 13 say of me, he is my brother. Now, what is this all about? It's very simple. Here is a new circumstance or a new environment into which he has brought himself: new land, new culture, new people, new danger. To some extent, new religion. It was a very dangerous world, and it was a very dangerous when people basically lived to fight. And those far off, actually, not that much different to what they are today. We're going backwards. Isn't that true? And Abraham was afraid for his life in this region. He felt that they were going to kill him so as to take his wife. So, what did he do? He didn't just tell a lie, he revived an old. Policy. He revived an old scheme which he and Sarah had concocted way back in chapter 12 when they had not gone to Egypt at that stage. Everywhere you go, say of me, He is my brother. What happened? What happened? Well, the king of Gerar took Sarah into his harem. What is Abraham thinking about? Well, he's certainly not thinking about God's plan. He's not thinking about God's promises all the way back to chapter 12 of of this book. He's not thinking about faith. He's not thinking about the well-being of his wife, nor of Abimelech and and, and his household. Abraham has told lies, and his lies are going to get Abimelech into serious trouble. It doesn't matter that he's a pagan king. That's not the point. The point here is that Abraham is doing something that he should not have done. This revived lying policy. It didn't work in Egypt either. You would have thought that a man of his experience would have got it right, wouldn't you? And learned his lesson. But here it is again. What is it? It's ongoing sin. Ongoing sin. Sin repeating itself again and again. The the actual implication of verse 13 is that this agreement was made way back in chapter 12 and actually it may well have been revived on more than one occasion before we get to Gerar. But here's the problem. Well, it's a problem for New Testament Christians. This guy, Abraham, is what we might call a spiritual man, isn't he? He he is the one who's holding the promises of God. He has been brought into relationship with God by covenant. That's an awesome, awesome place to be. And God has been faithful to him for the past, what is it, 25 years through his journey from Ur. He has been told, not you you and I, well, there's a sense in which it's true of us, but he has been told that the nations... This covenant is amazing. The nations are going to be blessed through this guy called Abraham. What is he doing? He's telling lies. Now, The the reason why lies are bad at the best thing, but you need to try and remember that they've already had the promise of Sarah's child. Isaac's coming. He's coming very soon. And Isaac is the next in the line of Messiah. That the covenant will be brought right through the Old Testament until finally the Christ shall shall be born. So it's not just that he's telling lies. There's a lot in this telling of lies. And now Abraham is faithless before God. The Lord is his helper. Well, he's forgotten that. So he can't say, I have no fear. He was scared stiff. Why? Why? What on earth is the matter? Well, here's the thing, and it's happened to you and me. His new circumstances are a challenge to him. That's the problem. They are a kind of a test for him, if you like. And he forgets God's previous care of him. He moves from faith to fear. He moves from God to man. That's where he's at at this moment. And he uses his own human plan to protect himself. Abraham, we all know this. He, he finds his way into the, the, what are they called, the gallery of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's great. And he's called by the apostle Paul as, the, as basically the father of the faithful. We're all related to Abraham. He is our father in the faith. I hope you've got your Old and New Testament right on that one. But the truth is this, that the best of men and women are still men and women. Sinful human beings. Abraham is one of those. The result? The result is inconsistency. Try to figure out, what, what, what did I take out of this to apply to our lives Inconsistency, the sin of lying, and any other sinful thing that you and I choose to indulge in, that's from the point of view of, of, of witness and of fellowship, this is what comes out of it. Inconsistency. I think probably most of us, dare I say all of us, know a bit about that. Are we not all a bit like Abraham? putting the Lord, my helper, to one side and having fear and thereby, therefore, adjusting our Christian walk, our Christian living to accommodate all manner of things. Have we, you and I, not been through changes in our lives which have caused this? I, I, as a a Christian pastor on a number of occasions down through... uh, What, 35 to 40 years had not the misfortune, the sorrow to see and to know some Christians who when gross misfortune uh, came into their lives, instead of having faith, they moved to fear. Sometimes it was very disastrous. So, maybe we're there at this minute with Abraham, are we? Perhaps we're still there. Perhaps we're wondering because of it. And, and, and this is what happens. This is where Satan comes in and, and really stokes, stokes the flames. Because we are inconsistent and we know we're inconsistent, then we're thinking to ourselves, am I really saved at all? That's just what Satan wants us to think, to make our Christian lives utterly miserable. What's wrong here? What's the matter with Abraham? And what's the matter with me if I have gone the way of Abraham? And let me tell you, I have gone the way of Abraham, so I, you know, I know a bit about it. The old nature, the old self, is the matter with Abraham. No matter how close we come to God, even in this New Testament age, through the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit lives in those who believe, the old self, what Paul calls the old self in his letter to the Colossians in the third chapter, what Paul calls the old self, it never dies. I have, the yes, the title on the screen is the old self never dies. It's always trying to assert itself and it encourages us to move in our own selfish ways and excludes everybody else and hurts them. And thus was Abraham. Paul tells the Colossians that there is an old self without Christ, and there is a new self in Christ, and this new self is is the new creation, and it's undergoing renovation and renovation and renovation until, at last body and soul. We shall be with Jesus forever, but we haven't got there yet. The song told us, that's why it made such an impression on me, that, that it's written. The job is complete. We cannot be lost, but we've got the rest of our lives to live out in a sinful world, And one of the things that's going to follow us around is the old nature or the old self. And that old self, if you like, to use a different kind of metaphor, battles against our life in Jesus. And there are times, there are times of change in our lives when we feel God, when we feel Jesus When we don't look like those who belong to Jesus. And the question is, what are we to do? Well, here we go into the the, the second, the the other three points here. They'll not be just as long as as that one. But in the second place, we need to, first of all, understand before it happens. Because there is so much about the Christian life that we need to understand before it happens. When it happens, something nasty, something bad, it's, it's nearly too late. We need, that's why... That's why Bible study, personal Bible study, group Bible study, Sunday worship Bible study, that is why we should be obsessed with it. Because if we don't get this in, there's nothing There's nothing to help us. There is nothing to see us through. And we need to understand some of the consequences or the effects of this Abraham-like inconsistency. Because his inconsistency does not happen in splendid isolation. It has effects on others. No man is an island unto himself. No woman is an island unto herself. No child is an island unto themselves. Everything about us always touches other lives. And that is why we have to be so particular about our walk with Jesus. So in our walk with God and in our walk with Jesus, we either influence others for life or for death. There's nothing in between. Nothing at all. It's for life or for death. And we need to understand that. Abraham's inconsistent life, if you take the image of a stone falling in a a still pond, The stone pops in, plops in, and out go the rings. It's a very familiar uh, picture. And Abraham's inconsistent life, his sinfulness, his faithlessness, rippled out like a stone in a pond. And those affected minimally, uh, at least these three, were his wife, Sarah. He was, it seems... Perfectly happy to have Sarah become the wife of a pagan, godless king. Don't we read this and you hear God speaks to, to Abimelech and he says to Abimelech, She's married, like you're in real trouble, she is mine. Not only is she married, she's married to a prophet. And I have read some commentary, some comments on this saying, oh, you know, this this Abimelech, that the Lord spoke to him and he became a a kind of Old Testament Christian. I don't believe he did. He probably still had a harem with about a thousand other wives in it. The the marriage thing is, is purely to do with this incident. This is not something on which we may build precepts. The man didn't become an Old Testament Christian. I don't think he did anyway. He seemed, Abraham seemed to have forgotten something That Sarah was this essential part of God's great plan Very soon we said this She's to become the mother of the child of promise Isaac in the line of the promised Messiah This was a monumental mistake How could Abraham do this? A monumental mistake on Abraham's part. And then there was Abimelech himself, king of Gerar. If he touched this woman, he's a dead man, God says. The language is, you know, it's not dressed up. It's just shooting from the hip, as it were. Abraham put Abimelech in grave danger. That he was a pagan king is not the point. That he was taking the mother of the of the promised child was the point that he was therefore not just interfering in Abraham's family life, he was interfering in God's plan. Folks, it's a a dangerous thing to interfere with God's plan. And then Abraham had effect on God himself. Because Abraham was dishonoring the God who has called him The God who has given him such amazing covenantal grace. The God who has said, to Abraham, your wife's going to have, she she may be very old, but she's going to have a child. That's another issue. Why would the king of Gerar want this 90-whatever-year-old woman to be in his harem? We haven't time to go down that road uh, this evening. Uh, If you're interested in that particular problem, see Marty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he'll, he'll, have, he'll, have the answer, he'll have the answer to that, so he will. <coughs> uh, now, where was I? I forgot. Oh, yes, Abraham was dishonoring God. Abimelech could know the God of Israel by the life of his servant, right? So what kind of a god has a servant who was a lying card and didn't really love his wife enough to stand by her and send her off to someone else. Abraham seems to have been very happy with all of this. Happy in his inconsistency no matter whom he hurt. Now let me just you know, in finishing this point. They need to ask this question. Are we happy with our inconsistencies? Are there those who might point the finger at us as Abimelech did with Abraham and ask us, what have you done to us? What have you, what have you done to us? What are you playing at, Abraham, that we should come under your God's fearful judgment? What kind of an inconsistency might you and I have? Well, let me tell you, folks, I do believe there's a very common one and we're all suffering from it and the church at large is suffering from it. Is it that tendency to blend in with society? Because that's really in many ways what Abraham was doing. Take, take, the, take the, the flack away from him. Don't attract any attention from the powers that be in, in the area of Gerar. I want to suggest that that surely is the curse of Christianity, or upon Christianity, uh, in this particular uh, day and age, in the challenging word world we now live in. And it's not—it's getting to the stage; it's not that much different. Took to where Abraham was. We blend in. We blend in. I—I I, I haven't time to go into you know, all the ways in which we blend in. Uh, there are people in some <laughs> denominations, you know, will, will tell you, you don't drink, you don't play cards, you don't smoke, you don't go to the cinema, you don't go dancing, you don't You know, you know there are actually much worse things. I'm not saying they are bad. I, I like going to the cinema, love it, so I do. Um, but there are much worse things than any of those. They are much deeper, much, much deeper, right down within us. We need to look at this very, very carefully. Can we live with the truth that one day God will break into the world? He breaks in now in his word and by his people. But one day he will break into the world as he did with Abimelech. But it will be too late for all who have not been introduced to Jesus and led to believe. Now, God, in the third place, did break into this scenario that we have before us. And I've called the third thing covenant protection. I'm not going to say a lot about this. I personally think it speaks for itself. This Abraham was God's chosen servant. Through him, the people of God would be numbered like the stars in the night sky. Now, this is the covenant in in. Chapter twelve, and it's built on in some subsequent chapters. If you're a Christian and you haven't come to terms with this covenant, then get your Bible out when you come home tonight, and don't go to bed until you get it sorted. Because this is the the greatest foundation that there is outside of Calvary for Christian confidence. It's it's the. The story is written. The end is complete. Jesus Christ, the living hope. That's what the covenant is about. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ, the living hope. The nations would be blessed. From his family would come the Christ. And God is faithful. Nothing. Now here's the thing. Nothing or no one would be permitted to interfere in this great plan. And that's what Abraham forgot about. And that is why his foundation slipped out from underneath him. If you are someone who believes in just a random Christ who died for sinners, that's not enough. That is not enough for true belief in what God has done and is doing. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners because it was all agreed back in eternity, revealed to Abraham and through the Old Testament until finally Jesus came. It's a foundation that we cannot, in my view, we cannot be without. Abraham forgot about it. I don't know why he forgot about it, but he did. It's what we should understand also and not forget. Your salvation and my salvation is not a random thing it is part of a divine plan, and we are held within it forever. Read John 10. What does Jesus say about his, about his, his people, his sheep? Nobody will pluck them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that amazing? You know, <clears throat> I know I do say this quite a lot, uh, not here, but on the other place. If you were Pentecostals, you'd be shouting hallelujah so you would you would not be sitting i know it's sunday night and it's late and it's warm you want to go home but you really need to shout hallelujah sometime whenever you hear that because this is amazing stuff this is amazing stuff never to be lost therefore how can we allow our old sinful self the way paul says in colossians 3 the way we used to live How can we allow it to rise up in our lives and lead us into inconsistent living which will leave others who don't see Jesus in us as good as dead? What are we to do about this? We're finished. This is the fourth thing. I'd like you to try and see in the passage what I've called the confirmation of God's continuing love. It's in relation to Abraham, Abimelech leaves the scene. We don't actually, unless I've missed something in the passage, we don't actually re- uh, read about uh, Abraham actually repenting of his sin. You know what repentance is? It's, it's turning away from, 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 from the world and turning right around and going back to God. You don't actually have a record there of him actually repenting from his sin. He's about turn from this course of action. But I just simply want to suggest to you that we can be sure it was there. After God's use of Abimelech, the pagan king, to expose Abraham's sin, how embarrassing was that? After Abraham's confession of his faithless and twisted thinking, that's about the nearest we get to confession of sin in this and turning around. But it includes, let me say to you, it includes almost an accusation, an accusation of Abraham's against God. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to, to, to my wife about this brother sister thing. And that word wander, I'm no expert in, in, in ancient Hebrew, but there's about, I don't know, five or six other words that Abraham could have used there. Uh, which would have been much nicer than this one. This one holds to an evil accusation against God. And God didn't pick him up on it. He didn't pick him up on it. And then we read this. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. The man of God, however it came about, the man of God, was back in communion with his God. You don't pray to your heavenly father for Abimelech to be healed and for his, uh, all the women in his household to be able to have babies again. Unless you are pretty sure that you are in sweet communion with your heavenly father. The man of God was back in communion with God. I suggest to you that God, as we would expect, was faithful, even if Abraham wasn't. But his faith in God was restored, and he prayed to the one who could heal this king. There is perhaps another invisible sign of his repentance that that we haven't time to go through them, but. Uh, Abimelech brought all sorts of amazing gifts for both him and Sarah. It it actually should have been the other way around. It should have been Abraham saying, uh, Abimelech, I'm really, really sorry. Really sorry. Take these gifts. It was the other way around. The other way around. But interestingly, there were times in the past when Abraham refused to receive gifts from pagan kings. And on this occasion... He felt he should take them. Perhaps, perhaps an indication of his sorrow for the stupid God dishonoring action that he had taken. So I, I'm, I'm putting it to you that this may show us the restored and forgiven, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven child of God. He is on with the business of being the father of the faithful. But here's the thing. This is is the conclusion. Any of us, any of us, the minister, the Sunday school teacher, the average person sitting in the pew who has been walking with Jesus for the last 40, 50 years, doesn't matter, any of us can fall into Abraham's sin again and again, even sometimes inadvertently, sometimes quite deliberately. We are, it it is the truth, and I know it's hard to understand sometimes, but we are never out of reach of the old self, the person that I was before I came to live for and with and through Jesus. So Paul urges us to do battle with the person we once were. So the old self never dies, but we have to continuously keep putting it to death. Day and daily, it's not a a once-in-a-lifetime thing or a a once-in-a-month thing or a a once-in-a-week thing. It is day and daily. Put to death, therefore Paul writes to the Colossians, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. I'm not going to read the whole list. I've just taken a, a, a short and a of this. <coughs> Anger is where they started. The last one on this list was do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self. You're not like that anymore. You have taken off your old self and have put on the new self, which is being created in Christ Jesus. This taking off and putting on is the outward evidence of having committed in our hearts to follow Jesus. Jesus. And a confirmation of God's continuing grace and love for us. This is good news in Genesis 20. Just as with Abraham. Think about Abraham. Think about the stupidity of his ongoing sin. But above all else, be encouraged. At the end of it all, God kept him. Kept him close. And kept the covenant promises intact, heading for the birth of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this word. It's a bit of a journey through those 18 verses, Lord. Forgive us if we haven't looked at or thought about all the things we should have looked at. But we pray, Lord, this evening that this one thing might be uh, real to us. That we can sin No matter how long we have been on the road with with your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can sin. We drift back into it, Lord. One day, Lord, we get up and we forget to put the old self to death and we're back in there. We pray simply that you would give us understanding of what happened here and use it. By your Spirit in our lives to make us more able to go out tomorrow and through the coming week to live for this Jesus and to live lives of holiness unto the Lord and to live lives which, when people look at, they won't be able to say to us, Well, what have you done to us? But rather, What has happened to you? What has made you like this? Tell me about your God.